Uh, we're starting a three-week series on everybody's favorite topic, money. Yep, there you go. Can I get an amen? amen. There you go. Um, you know, we were talking to the staff in the, in the fall, and, you know, the, the, the folks that get anxious about whether we're going to end the year well um, want, want preaching on money, preaching on money, preaching on money, and, and I get it. Uh, but I said that in December, if we, if, we, if we end the year in the black, we're going to spend some time communicating why money matters. Uh, and we're going to look at it today globally, and then next week we'll look more regionally or locally, and then the third week we'll, <clears throat> we'll deal with it more personally. And we're going to use a passage today that, that you've heard. Um, if you've been here for the, this is, I just started my fifth year here. I've been a, a, I'm a couple of weeks into my fifth year at Community Reform Church. We started on, all right, we started, Leonard, I, I officially started January 1, 2013. Now, I did get an opportunity to preach a couple of times in, in 2012, but you will have heard now this passage preached on once a year since I arrived. And it's, we've used this passage. I say used. It sounds like it, we're, we're taking Scripture and making it mean something it doesn't mean. That's not it. But, but it, it declares, Paul is telling us what, what God's intent is through the church. So really, it's the purpose of the church. And we talked about that the purpose of the church is that to, to declare the manifold, the, the multifaceted, the all-encompassing wisdom of God to the powers and the authorities of the, of the heavenly realms. I'm going to tell you in a minute what those are. And, and I know that in our culture, it's tough. We're, we live in the West. We have a, a certain in academic circles. It's called a plausibility structure that we see the world a certain way and we think that only certain things are, are real and we might... We might pay homage to or not or, bend, you know, kind of, yeah, 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 to these other things. But it, it's kind of, in my opinion, as a, as a pastor and as a student of the scriptures, it's kind of arrogant of me to think that my worldview is more accurate than the worldview of the one who created the universe. So I'm just saying. So what you get here is what we believe wholeheartedly through study and, and, and language and, and, and learning from the church of the ages, what you get here is what the scriptures tell you. And if we, if we err on the side of anything, it's, it's that, well, I got some thoughts on this, but this is what the scripture says. So we're going with what the scripture says. So I want you to, I want you to be aware of a couple of things going in. Number one, this particular passage in Ephesians chapter three never mentions money. And, and, and I'm, not going out of, I'm not going out of bounds by talking about money here, and, and you'll see why. Number two, I think the whole world would be different if the church just in the United States of America decided to be faithful to God, even with our finances. And my goal in this message is to show you how. How the world, not just, not just more people would hear the name of Jesus, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's not a great thing, it is. And not just that, that, that God's name would be glorified and honored and wouldn't be considered the bane of existence, and it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be other religions that are trying to destroy us. It wouldn't be that. Not only that, but more than that. I think God's name would be glorified and God's kingdom, the visible kingdom, would be expanded if we only... We're faithful with our finances. So I'm going to offer a prayer. Oh, first of all, Andrew, last week, God asks, will you trust me? Faithful, phenomenal, 
humble work last week. Well done, good and faithful servant. Just the, the poise, uh, amazing. And welcome back, all of you from who went to Passion. If you went to Passion, put your hands up in the air. And how many countries are we trying to sponsor now? I'm sorry, five? Five and half of Brazil or something like that? Four and half of Bolivia. Four, uh, half of Bolivia, thank you. I, I got that just in the hallway out here. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about what, you, what Passion Challenge, because that's what, this, that's what we're doing here today. Let me offer prayer, and we'll get moving into Ephesians chapter 3. Almighty God, you're almighty. You are the creator of all things. Time would not exist if you didn't say, let there be time. Light would not exist if you didn't say, let there be light. Order would not exist if you didn't speak order into chaos. Lord, we would all be doomed without your love, mercy, grace, comfort, and provision. And Lord, we're going to talk today about your provision and about how you want to use your provision toward us as provision toward the world. Give me the words to speak, <clears throat> the spirit to speak them, the confidence to proclaim your word to your people today. And Lord, if there's something I don't have on my iPad here, or something that I haven't planned to say that you once said, I want to say it. And Lord, if there's something I have planned to say or something on my notes that you don't want said, then I don't want to say it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and what you want us to see. And Lord, remind everybody in the room today that, that this is not Trent's message to them. It's your message to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of you know that Paul is the author of the book of Ephesians. He, it's a letter to the church in Ephesus. And Paul was a, an apostle, but he wasn't the kind of apostle that, that the other apostles were. The, the original 12 disciples, his, his inner circle, his best friends, uh, when Jesus died and then went to hell and left our sins there where they belong, when he resurrected from the dead and then ascended to the Father, his disciples became apostles. They became people all but one because he was the one that hung himself because he, he was the one that sold Jesus out. But he was replaced, but they became the spokespersons, the people that, that God charged with sharing the manifold wisdom of God with more and more and more people. Paul was one who was a terrorist toward the church. He was a, a religious Jew who saw this sect of Christianity at that time called the way. Uh, he wanted to shut them down. That we, we are blowing it, the, the, these Christian people, this, this, new, this new way, it's wrong, it's evil, it's not of God. So he murdered Christians in the name of God. And then one day he was walking uh, on a road to Damascus and Jesus himself appeared to him, uh, post-resurrected Jesus and said, Paul or Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here's Saul's response, who are you? And he was converted. And everything changed. Now, he, he was blinded and he went off and he spent anywhere from 25 to 33 years in training and prayer and to give the gospel of God enough chance to, to reach the, the known and religious world. And then God himself called Paul to be a missionary, a proclaimer of the gospel, one who administers the mystery of God to people that didn't formally or previously know who Yahweh, the one true God, is. And that's what Paul starts off saying. But I want you to listen when he gets to the piece where he says his intent was. He's talking about God's intent for you and for me. Listen to what he says. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. 
And although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church to the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our lord in him and through him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence and i ask you therefore not to be discouraged paul says uh, because of my suffering for you which is your glory now a couple of things one um, we love this passage when it says that we can approach the throne of God with confidence, right? We, we love this part. And, and this whole manifold wisdom, that just means multifaceted or all-encompassing. We, we got that. But this whole rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms, that's this plausibility structure. We so let me just use some military terminology for you. Now, first of all, I just want to say I, I think that it's arrogant of me to think that my worldview is better, okay? We, we said that a second ago. If the scriptures are trustworthy in the revelation of salvation through Christ, the scriptures are also reliable and trustworthy when it comes to demonic and angelic hosts, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us, when it comes to healing and deliverance and all those things. And we've talked about these, these, these authorities and rulers of the heavenly realms, um, but here, here's how it's kind of structured in the demonic realm. Preaching the demons. I'm going to preach to them in a sec. You've got principalities and powers. They're kind of like generals and colonels. And they have an area of operation. Like with uh, Douglas MacArthur in World War II had the South, Southwest Pacific Ocean area was his area of responsibility. So you have a principality that has an area, a large region of a property that, that his job is to lead the people of God and those who don't yet know him astray. And then under him would be, there's a principality, there's an authority. And then you have the rulers. And, and uh, I want to make sure I get, I just said it, made known to the authorities, or to the rulers and authorities. They're kind of like colonels and majors or captains. So they have, they have a smaller area. They have smaller groups of uh, platoon or a brigade that they're in charge of. They're not in command of a whole area, but they are, they are charged with a locality. And so Zealand, Michigan, or Ottawa County, according to the scriptures, and I don't know whether they, they, they trust our borders or not, but Western Michigan has a spirit whose job is to lead astray the children of God. And I've named it. I don't know if I've got it right. But it's religiosity or upper middle, upper middle class churchianity. It's one that divides instead of unites. It's one that, that tries to remind us that if we can define ourselves as good Christians, people that, that we're better than others, that we're higher than others, that we're better at being forgiven, how can you be better at being forgiven? But we, we convince ourselves that if we do this, 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 then God has to love us. And it's just not gospel. We convince ourselves that if we go to church every week, we're a Christian, just like we convince ourselves that if I spend a lot of time in my garage, I'm a car. That's not God's word to us. But somehow, someway, we kind of believe it. I know we don't cognitively, but we do experientially. 
Think about the church in, even in Western Michigan, the church, not our church. We divide. It, instead of what we have in common, it's how we're different. There are some traditions that it's all about Sabbath observance. It's all about what we do on a Sunday morning. By the way, biblically speaking, not the Sabbath. Saturday is. It, Sunday's the Lord's day. It's the day that he resurrected. It's the day that we are to gather together to celebrate who God is and what Christ has done in us. But there's no command in scripture to divide ourselves based on what you're allowed to do and what you aren't allowed to do, whether you can swim in a lake or a pool or if you can play catch or, 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 or play pickle or, or whether you can eat white chocolate or dark chocolate on Sunday. I've heard that one. You know what it came down to? We don't want to get your Sunday best all gross with the, with the dark chocolate on your fingers and you do this. See, we make religion into faithfulness, and it's not it. And that is not the work of the gospel. It is the work of those spirits that would want to distract us. There are those that say you have to go to church on these particular Sundays of a year, or these particular days of a year, and then you're saved and everything else is, is benefit. Others that say that, that it's about you have to frame your Sabbath in worship. You have to come on, on in the morning, and you have to come in the evening. Whenever you hear have to, it's religion. Whenever you hear get to, it's probably Christ. Those authorities, those rulers, those powers want us to be useless for the kingdom. But Paul says it is God's intent now through the church to, to, to declare that manifold wisdom of God, not only to the people around, but to the unseen spirits. So how might we do that? Proclaim the truth. Death by a thousand lashes. Every time the truth goes out, it will not return void. It will indeed accomplish what Christ has sent it to do. So here we try to proclaim the truth unapologetically. And every time you have a new sense of who you are in Christ, that spirit in, that, that, that heads up this area loses a little power. Prayer to take down strongholds. Service, not our human nature, but where we forget it, where we think it doesn't apply, is our resources, our finances, our bank account, our stock portfolio, our checkbook, our money. So we're going to talk globally here, and I want to do my best to show you how the world would be different if Christians were faithful with their money. Now, there are those that will argue, and I, I, I did a lot of study this week and last, that tithing, tithe, you can't talk about tithing in the church because that's not a New, Test, New Testament principle. Yeah, you're never commanded to tithe. Tithe means tenth. That's all it means. You're never commanded to tithe in the New Testament. But let me show you a couple things here. Moses in the Pentateuch, he talked about tithing. We see Melchizedek. He received tithes. We hear all of the Old Testament. You're in pretty good company if you're practicing that art of tithing. In the New Testament, what we hear is tithing. We, we, we know that from, from in the Old Testament, we hear New Testament or Old Testament, we hear about tithing. We hear about first fruits. We also hear about leaving the corners of your field there. So it's never been 10%. It's always been more. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he says, when he talks about the widow who has nothing and she gives all, he commends that. So what Jesus is saying, and when he says that all good things come from the Lord, he's not saying, look, a tenth, if you do a tenth, you're a good Christian and everything's good. Somebody's saying, he's saying, it's all mine. 
It's all been entrusted to you. Every good thing comes from the Lord. It's not that a little bit of, the, of, of your money is God's. It's that all of, God, all of your money belongs to the Lord. And all the Lord has to do is go, no more. And you're done. So as a Christian, shouldn't I be looking at what did Christ die for? Did he die for 90% of me? 60% of me? 10% of me? Or did he die for all of me? And if he died for all of me, shouldn't I be asking, Lord, not what must I give, but what do I need to keep? See, it goes from being a have to to being a get to. How can I respond to God in gratitude for what he's entrusted to me? How do I invest the resources that he has said be faithful with? And let me show you. Now, here's some statistics about tithers, okay? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not legalistic here. I'm telling you what, what studies say. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a nom, of, of normal congregation. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are only giving 2.5% per person. When in the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. So if we just take that, okay, we know that we're not, we're not really generous, most of us. And if there's any guilt from this, that's not the intent. What would happen if all Christians in the United States of America only decided that they're going to trust God and the ministries of God with at least 10%? Net, gross, don't know. What what would happen if if every Christian in the United States just said, Lord, we want to declare your manifold wisdom to the authorities and the spirits of the air? Here, 10%. Here's what we would come up with. 25 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And over five years, the church would relieve or eliminate global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases like malaria, diarrhea. 25 billion dollars could take those things away in five years. In addition to the $25 billion, $12 billion would be available, and that could eliminate literacy, illiteracy, world, eliminate literacy. (laughs) (laughs) Could eliminate illiteracy worldwide in five years. 15 billion, on top of the 25 and the 12 billion, 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. I'm going to comment on this one for a minute. You guys, Compassion International is what Passion was, was, was uh, asking people to jump on board with, right? And you're going to try to fully fund sponsorship, four countries and half of a fifth, correct? Okay. Lynn and I were taken on a trip to Peru. Uh, a couple of years ago with, uh, through Willow Creek Association uh, with Compassion International. Compassion International is a Christian ministry that's child sponsorship program where everything that happens locally is done through the local church. And we were on a fact-finding mission down there. Of course, they wanted the churches to support the ministry and all that. But it didn't cost us a dime, didn't cost you a dime. We went down there and we flew into Lima and we missed the fun part where we got to go to Machu Picchu. Um, our flight, they didn't have a tire, um, so... We went home. 
Um, and we went down, we, we, we showed up, and a couple hours later, we were in Puru, which is a, a, a city further south and over, over near the coast. And from, that was our home base. And then from there, we headed down to see villages uh, where, where Compassion International had local churches doing this wonderful work. And we got to see how children, when they were sponsorship, how, when they were sponsored, they got brought in, how they were taught to know and love and serve the Lord, how they were fed, they were taught hygiene, they, well baby visit. I mean, you name it, what happens there is, is phenomenal. And, and how their whole families are transformed. We were shown how after they track them through their, the whole time with compassion, they graduate, that family curses, generational curses of people living in poverty turn into generational blessings because of God's work in one person's life. But one of the villages we went to, and we, we, whenever we would go, we'd get off the bus, and they don't want these rich white people getting sick, right? So they give us two bottles of water every time we got off the bus. Bottled, purified, distilled, whatever. They don't want us drinking the water in Peru. Dysentery. So we do this and we go into this little spot and this pastor is celebrating what compassion has done and they're putting on their show and, and the kids are there and they're singing and they're clapping and they're praising Jesus. And then when it was time for them to leave, some of them walked out and as they walked out, they grabbed one of the bottles of water we'd set on the floor. And the pastor's like, no, 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 don't, do not, do not take. I'm like, man, if they need water that bad, let them have it. I got a reserve. But after we walked around, just this, this powdery dust that they live in, and, and, and I'm kicking a hacky sack with some kids and throwing some kids how to throw a Frisbee, and we get back in the, in the, in the bus, and, and we're leaving, and we were told that, that this village had about a day left of water. They had the collection, you know, rain collection, and they had these things up on the rooftops, and they had about a day left of water, and they were six weeks away from getting resupplied if they could come up with the bribe money for the local official. In other words, they're trying to bribe a local official to get water before someone else. And as we went to another village and another, and then we flew home, I realized that on the way home, that some of those kids that I met that were stealing water will be dead by the time I land. But Christians giving only 10%, and only the Christians in America can make sure no kid, no person ever has water that will poison them, and they will never be short of it. Imagine how Peru would look if the church came down and said, we don't want anything from you. We're going to provide jobs. We're going to build a desalination plant. Take this, they're two miles away from the ocean and, they, and they're going to die of not having water. The manifold wisdom of God needs to be declared to those spiritual powers that are killing children. And if every, church, if every Christian in America just said a dime off a dollar, a dollar off 10, 10 off 100, 100 off 1,000, 1,000 off 10,000, 10,000 off 100,000, 100,000 off a million. If every one of us, according to our income, not according to, to a, a final number, but if all of us gave a dime off of every dollar, and if every church gave a dime off every dollar, and if every ministry gave a dime off every dollar, no person on the planet has to die of thirst. In addition to the 25,000 or 25 billion for hunger, starvation, and preventable diseases, addition to the 12 billion that will eliminate illiteracy, in addition to the 15 billion that could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, $1 billion would be available to fully fund every current foreign mission work in the world. And on top of that, 
There would be an additional 100 to $110 billion above and beyond what churches already bring in to satisfy their own ministries for new and expanded ministries here or abroad. If every Christian in the United States just said, Lord, you get my first fruits. You get one dime off of every dollar I make. Every dollar I bring home. The world would change. The manifold wisdom of God would be declared. The mystery of who Christ is and the salvation he offers could change this planet. Now think about it for a second. And I'm not naive. I know that, that, that I mean, just the fact that in Puru or outside of Puru, they had to bribe local officials. If, if we had the money available, there corruption, I get it. Even Christian organizations might be, become corrupt with that kind of money. And I know that there's, there's Middle Eastern, Eastern despots that if we tried to go in and feed, clothe, bring medicine and water to every refugee in the Middle East right now, that there would be Middle Eastern despots that would not allow us in. But how long do you think that would last if the whole world knew that Christians had availability of existential needs being met? How long do you think corruption and religious bigotry and despotism, how long do you think that would last if people knew I can eat and have water and have my children vaccinated? I can, I, I can never have to worry about malaria or leprosy, which was now known as Hansen's disease, except for that corrupt government agent. You think that there wouldn't be a revolution, a turnover? You think that Christ's name wouldn't be glorified if, only, if the only thing we did was gave a dime off a dollar all around this country and, and provided for people's existential needs. What could God do with a dime off a dollar? How many people were at Passion? 55? 55,000 young adults at Passion in Atlanta this year, right? As, all, as always. Are going to fully sponsor four and a half country, countries of children in poverty. 55,000. Imagine what it could be done with the population, the, the Christian population of the United States of America. If you're feeling guilty, that is not coming from the Lord. What you should feel is, wow. God's not kidding around. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave everything. And he's not asking us. He's already given us everything. He's asking, trust me in this. And we can't control the church across this country. We can't control every Christian. But we can have some say in what happens locally. And we'll talk more about that next week. But imagine, make it really personal, imagine the mother of one of those children in the village outside of Peru, Peru whose, whose kid had to steal my water. Imagine a week later, if someone came down and said to her, we brought some water for the next two weeks, and in two weeks' time there will be wells, and we're going to start building a desalinization plant. And we're going to bring medicine. Well, what, what's it going to cost? Nothing. Nothing. We just want you to thrive. And in Jesus' name, how do you think her life will change? You think she'll become like the woman at the well 
I'm not saying that she, was, she was, had the same kind of reputation as the woman at the well, but the woman at the well, when Jesus met her, you know, he, he, he told her, yeah, I know you've had, she came to the well in the middle of the day because, because people whispered about her because she was kind of, she liked men. She came in the middle of the day and Jesus met her there. They had a little conversation about what it means to worship and where to worship. And then Jesus called her out on, yeah, you're right, you've had a lot of men. You know what she did? She left that encounter with Jesus, who didn't judge her, who didn't make her, didn't say, sinner. He just told her what the truth was. She went off to her village, and she told everybody that she could come in contact with, come meet the man that, met, that told me everything I ever did. And dozens, if not more people, came to know Christ because Christ met a woman at the well. Lives can be transformed if we first say, will meet your existential needs in the name of Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? We get to tell him, you think that when someone sees their needs met by the God of the universe, that they're not going to tell everyone else about it? You think that, that, that ISIS and, and that whole caliphate, that that's spreading across the world, you think that through kindness and love and mercy and joy and peace and patience and kindness and the church serving instead of waiting to be served, the church changing things instead of waiting for others to change to, to say we're okay again, you think that the, the world wouldn't be different, that God's holy kingdom wouldn't be visible worldwide if all we did in America was say, here's a dime off a dollar. See, this isn't about what Community Reformed Church can get from you. And just so you know, if there's more money that comes into this church, I don't get a big bonus at the end of the year. It doesn't work that way. This is about God's glory and us in the proclamation of the gospel, in service, in mission, but with our money, how the world might look differently. If all of God's people said, yes, Lord. So when you leave, ask yourself this question. How much would you suffer? How badly would you be harmed if Alpha, every dollar you gave a dime? Suffer and harm? Don't be honest with me. Be honest with God, because God says, as Andrew told us so eloquently last week, he says, will you, will you, will you, will you trust me with this? Let's pray. Lord, make known your all-encompassing wisdom through your church. And take down those rulers and authorities in the air whose sole purpose is to distract, to make useless, and to pervert the gospel of God. And Lord, give us the courage to say, yes, Lord, I trust you with my family, with my stuff, with my job, and with my money. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Um, but this is the thing that came from passion. And uh, 55,000 young adults, probably with their dad's credit cards, $34 a month, 
will fully sponsor every Compassion International. There's World Vision. There's all kinds of agencies. I'm not, I'm, but the, every project that, that Compassion has and every kid that needs sponsorship, $55,000, $34 a week, fully sponsor every Compassion International need in El Salvador, Rwanda, Tanzania, Indonesia, and they're halfway to sponsoring all of Bolivia. What can God do? How can he change the whole world with, this, with the church just in the States? It's unthinkable what our world would look like if we were faithful in all the ways God calls us to be faithful. The Lord bless you, and he has, and keep you, and he has. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and end the peace of Christ. And don't forget about tonight, 6 o'clock.